Glad you're here. Welcome to Marine Creek Church. I'm Pastor Matt, um, lead pastor here, and uh, I'm excited you're here. This is the third week we've been doing two services, so we're getting used to this format. And uh, speaking of getting used to a new format, Ryan's sporting the Rangers jersey. So the format for Texas baseball, the format for Texas baseball is to play ball in the fall um, and uh, let the Rangers go out. And what did Ron Washington, was it Ron Washington? He said that let them do what they does. Excitement will make you say all kinds of crazy things. So I'm excited. I watched the game Friday night and uh, got to see the celebration. And uh, Josh Hamilton is one of my favorite players. And I love the fact that the whole team does ginger ale celebrations for uh, Josh Hamilton. So talk about a team coming around to carry each other is awesome. Um, we're continuing in the book of Matthew, and uh, we've been journeying through the last... Last week, we got into uh, Jesus' authority, and uh, the disciple Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew to show uh, the king uh, is here, to show Jesus is the king, and he is God's son, and he wrote from a perspective and an angle. Matthew is Jewish, and he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and uh, the whole theme of his book is the king that you've been waiting for the Messiah that you have heard of in prophecy, he's here, he's among us. And so Matthew spends uh, his time writing this gospel so that we can understand the king is among us. And uh, he starts out uh, and, uh, with the Sermon on the Mount, and then he shows Jesus' authority um, over the leprosy, over the, the, the illness of the centurion servant, and then over sickness. And we talked about that last week. And the interesting thing is, When we are exposed to um, power, we're exposed to um, really Jesus, in that sense, it it brings up a lot of emotions, it brings up a lot of energy, it brings up a lot of excitement. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a a revival church service growing up. I remember growing up, I grew up in a a Pentecostal church, and uh, we used to have revival, and during the week, and there'd be crazy stuff going on. I mean, crazy good stuff, you know. Um, there was a little weirdness sometimes, but, you know, but there was an excitement around what God is doing. And when we launched this church, we said, God, we, we need your Holy Spirit to work through this, this or it's nothing. And through the last six and a half months, we've seen exciting things happen. And there's been a lot of an emotional charge, but these things come at a great cost. And uh, I started thinking back about the, the phrase, remember the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I started thinking, why is that? What's in, what all is involved with that? And I'm like, man, I mean, why can't there be such a thing as a free lunch? And it, it hit me Thursday night when we were all serving at Agape. And uh, I love serving at Agape. And Thursday night was a bonus because we had sausage patties. And so, I mean, it was, I, it, I'm that way. Um, so... I'm sitting at my table, I'm hosting a table, and uh, all of the, all six people at my table, um, and I try to remember all of the names at my table and for, for throughout the week pray for them, but I had Harold on my right, and he had Manuel sitting there, and then Joe, Chris, or Christina was Joe's wife, and then there was um, Juan, who also went by Reuben, and I love the guy next to him, his name was me. He wrote me on his name tag. I go, hello, me. It's me. <laughs> hey, me. And then sitting next to him uh, was Jose. Um, last week or last month, I had Jesus at my table. Um, but uh, 
I try to remember them and pray for them. And all six of of the five guys and one woman, they all camp together. They're they're homeless and they stay at a camp together. And they were talking about uh, three of them was their first time to come to Agape. And they were thanking Joe for inviting them in. And they were talking about, we love this. We need to do this every week. But this is a long walk. I mean, it, it, it was about a 45 minute to an hour walk for them to get to Agape Meals. And I started thinking about that. I was like, you know, um, even when we come and serve at Agape Meal to provide a free meal and let people sit in community and the love of Jesus and the reflection of Christ to our world, it still costs. And I started thinking, Agape, I, I was looking around. I mean, they've got a beautiful, it's Broadway Baptist Church in downtown Fort Worth, beautiful facility. Um, when you look in, when you just look in their sanctuary, you kind of hear that angelic oh, sound. The beautiful ornate wood, stained glass is beautiful. And that facility has a great cost. The, the kitchen is a cost to maintain, to buy the food, to pay for the food. I started looking around at the volunteers. And our volunteers, are, they are dedicated to get there because it is not easy with traffic. 35, 30, there's no easy way in. And I was thinking, there's a great time cost for the volunteers because we have to get there between 5 and 5.15 on a Thursday, putting us right in the middle of the fun traffic. And then we come in and we've got an an hour and a half, almost two hours of time that you sit and, and you engage with people you do not know and there's cost involved with our, our volunteers' time. And then I, you really break it down. Even those coming for the free meal have a cost. And the people at my table had to walk an hour to come and eat a free meal. And to, to let someone love on them, to let someone serve them, to let someone hand them a plate of food and say, I'm glad you're here. And when they leave before the, even the church service starts, to shake their hand and say, God bless you. I'm glad you were here tonight. There's cost involved with that. We think that we can get by sometimes without having to pay anything. And Jesus is the same way. There's a cost associated with following Jesus. Um, The gospel, it is free. The gospel is simple, but it is not easy to follow Jesus. It's going to cost us something. And and honestly, when you, you know, I'm going to kind of break the bubble here at the beginning and we'll teach through it. Um, Jesus calls us to die. I mean, the, the cost of following Jesus is the sacrifice of ourself. Because he came to rescue us from ourself, and he wants that relationship with us. So we've got to put those things off, and they have to go away. And I still struggle with that. I've been, I've been following Jesus for several years, and I still struggle with putting those things off. Because I have to get inside and say, am I willing to pay the personal cost? to lay these things down to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at two men this morning in Matthew chapter 8 that uh, have a response when they're confronted with Jesus. I, I really believe, and you've heard me say this before and you'll hear me say it again, that when we see Jesus and meet Jesus for who He really is, we will worship Him because we see God for who God is. Not who we've made Him out to be, not who we think He should be, but for who he really is. And there's two responses, either obedience or rejection. And we're going to look at these two guys. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to be in verse 18. And you're going to love this. We're only going to teach through four verses because some of you have been making fun of me on my timing. And uh, I have, I, thank you. That, well, that's accountability, we'll say. 
That's your joke. I'm just helping you be accountable, Pastor Matt. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. But after Jesus comes off the mountain in Matthew chapter 7, um, after teaching this Sermon on the Mount, and then having compassion on people and reaching out and with his word and with his touch, changing lives, healing people. I mean, lives are transformed. When, when, you, get, when you get into life with Jesus, transformation is a byproduct because that is why Jesus stepped on earth is for transformation, to give of himself so we can be transformed in a relationship with Christ. When you see Jesus on the scene, you see reconciliation because he came so that we might be reconciled with our creator, with God, the one true God, the creator of the universe. And so you see these things start to happen. And then people get kind of emotionally charged. And in Matthew 18, or Matthew 8, 18, um, here's the first gentleman we'll, we'll go through. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Um, basically, the crowd was coming in. Jesus knew the mission. Jesus was always very focused on his mission. That didn't mean he didn't love people. It didn't mean that he didn't stop and take time with people, but he knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He was focused. And so he said to the disciples, we've got to go to the other side of the lake, so get, get it ready. Get the boat ready. We're going to head out. And then it, this happened. Then a teacher of the law who was a scribe um, came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This passage and these few verses frustrated me for a long time um, when, I, when I would read through the Gospels. Back in 2000, 2001, um, when Heather and I started really getting locked back in with, with church and with God, I started reading the Gospels, and I prayed, God, I want to read the Gospels for exactly what they are. I want to read them as your word. If it's funny, let me laugh. If it's, if it's sad, let me be sad, not cry. <laughs> Boys don't cry. No, I'm just kidding. A real man can cry. Yes, I can. But I want to be involved in this. And every time I read this, I'm like, Jesus, what are you saying? I don't get this. I don't understand what the, this man is saying. Teacher, I'm going to follow you. And you answer with birds and foxes. I mean, now I get where the disciple John gets a lot of his poetry. You know, John is the, 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 the disciple that's like, oh, the birds of the air. And Jesus kind of flies in. You know, John's more the poet. He's the flower child, I call him. But you've got this man saying, Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at him and is like, birds and foxes, what? So let's back up and understand this. The, first, the thing I think Jesus was confronting here was this man had a careless confession. Um, th- this response, it was not really uh, fully thought out. It's, it's kind of like us guys being swept away with the emotion of love. Ladies, you feel the same way too. It's one of those decisions that you lead with your emotions. You know, you, I, I really believe some people come to Jesus head, head first. I mean, they got to get the knowledge wrapped around and then the heart follows. And then some people come heart first. It's an emotional decision and then their, their head starts to reconcile it. Well, this man was heart first, man. He saw the miracles. He's like, whoa, this is amazing. 
Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And what he's saying is, teacher, this scribe is, is recognizing and showing respect for Jesus as a teacher. Um, he's confessing, Jesus, I, I respect you because I just saw the miracles. I just saw what you did. And I have great respect for this man. He was enthusiastic about Jesus' ministry and he was, he was, just, he was ready to go. It's, it's kind of like, it's puppy love, really. Um, and I'm not going to pick on my daughter, but she's got a boyfriend, 13-year-old daughter. She's got a boyfriend. And uh, there's all kinds of emotions wrapped up in that. And so I'm having fun with it. You know, I've already been through this with one daughter. Now it's fun time. So this little boy doesn't know what's coming. <laughs> I, did, I stepped up to him the first day. I was teaching chapel at their school. I went up and said, hey, I hear you got a girlfriend. He goes, oh, yes, sir, I do. And he goes, oh, that. And I go, yeah, that. I said, don't you dare break her heart. He goes, oh, no, sir, I'll let her break mine. <laughs> there you go. We're off to a good start. He's all wrapped up in emotion right now. I mean, when I first saw Heather, I don't know what was going on. I mean, it was birds and, and I mean, angels and strawberries and chocolate. And, um, and Heather was holding all of that. No, I'm just kidding. No. Something happened inside. Well, that's what this man had. He, he experiences Jesus and he, he gets emotionally charged. And emotions are good. God created us with emotions, but we have to have some balance here. You know, we can't just always lead with emotions. Otherwise, we get nothing thought through and we get, really get nothing accomplished. It's the people that are like, oh, we just got love. You know, well, you got to think too. I mean, come on. You've got the head, the, the head and the heart. Use them both. There's a connection that happens, you know. Make that connection and use them. And so this scribe is saying, I'm ready to go. And, and Jesus, Jesus sees right through all of this stuff. It's, it's so fun trying to uh, fool God because he sees right through it. And here's what God reveals. He reveals that this scribe has a superficial confession. It's based on what Jesus can do, not based on who Jesus is. Do, do you understand that? Do you know there's people around us, and, and even times we do this, we kind of put our heart out there for God because we want God to do something for us, or we see some, some glimpses of his power, and we haven't really recon, reconciled and considered a cost involved with following Jesus. And, and what Jesus is really revealing to the man is a self-reliant faith. It's like, well, I like what you can do for me, Jesus. And I'm ready to go. I'm all in. And, and Jesus is saying, wait a second, back up here. Think this through. Think this through. And when Jesus says, you know, birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he's saying, you, you're going to have to give up some stuff. You know, you might have this house that is, is, is grand and great, you have a place, you have a bed. The Son of Man doesn't own a home. And this is not against home ownership. I've heard pastors talk about this against home ownership. <laughs> nay, nay. Let's read the Bible for, for the truth here. What Jesus is saying is, man, your heart's in this, but, 
you're not thinking through that there's actually some cost involved with following me. That when we follow Christ, there are things that he will, he will ask us to give up. He doesn't just ask us to die to sin and the things that separate us from God. He will call us and challenge us and, and move us to give up even things that are morally right. I mean, some of us, when we start growing in our relationship with God, we realize, wow, I watch way too much TV. Or I spend way too much time wasting on the computer. I spend way too much time doing this. I start spending way too much money on these things. And God will call us to leave those behind and begin to follow him as his disciple. And we have to understand that the emotion has to be there, but we have to reconcile this because what we're driving at is not an emotional experience in a church, but a spiritual experience. We can, we can get emotional. I mean, we can sing the right songs. We can, we can, we can adjust music. We can, we can teach. We can talk. I can tell the right story, and we can have an emotional experience. But when Jesus shows up, we have a spiritual experience. And if we're not having a spiritual experience as a church community, then we need to really do some gut check and say, are we just a bunch of emotionally needy people needing each other to try to create some need and some some filling of the need for our emotions? I want us to be on a spiritual foundation. I don't want us to be careless about it. I don't want us to be naive about it. I mean, we have the scriptures and we're going to get together and let's teach so we can understand it and approach it with head and heart. Let's look at the second guy. Um, he's in Matthew uh, eight twenty one and 22. Another disciple, and what's interesting is now it says disciple. The first man was a scribe. The scribe is a guy that would be, it was like a professor of the law. He knew the book. He knew the Bible. He would actually even teach it And so you have someone with this knowledge seeing Jesus going, I respect you, Jesus. And then the next man, it says he's a disciple. So a disciple is someone who follows a rabbi, who is being invested in, who is learning, who is following them so that they can do what their rabbi does. I mean, when Jesus called his disciples, in a couple weeks we're going to talk about the calling of Matthew, who wrote this book, When Jesus called his disciples, he was saying, come follow me because you will do what I do. A rabbi would call a disciple not because he wanted a a group of yes men or people to follow him and go, oh, you're always right. Oh, that's right. You know, I mean, he didn't want a posse. He wanted disciples. He didn't want an entourage. He said, I want to invest in you. Because the things that you see me do, you will do. And so this man is a disciple and understands this. He understands, I mean, his head's there. To be a disciple, you've got to have some head smarts here. I mean, God gave us a brain. We need to turn it on and use it. I think too many times we check our brain at the door when we come to church. And I think that's a huge disservice to God. Because we lose our ability to think through what he is teaching us. And so this disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me 
and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this man calls Jesus Lord. So he's putting him in a rightful place. He's not just saying, teacher, I respect you. He's recognizing this man is Lord. Capital L, this man is Lord. And then you want to talk about confusing. Once I got through the the foxes and birds, and then this man saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need to go bury my dad. I got to go to my dad's funeral. That's how I read this. And I'm thinking, okay, so Jesus wants me to give up my house, and Jesus wants me to just neglect my family? How can you be so callous, Jesus? And when we read it, context is huge. And we get in, we study it, and we understand what Jesus is really saying. There, yes, there is a cost involved. You can't just lead emotionally. There has to be a head reconciliation. Understand the cost. And then you follow me. And what he's saying to this man is you have to have devotion. A danger we have of responding to Jesus is we delay our devotion. And that's what this man was experiencing. He's like, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I will follow you. I want to serve you. I want, man, I'm all in when this happens. Or God, I will as soon as dot, dot, dot. And this man is, is delaying his devotion to Jesus. Here's what the man was proposing. Uh, the man was saying, I'll follow you, but I want to bury my father. Now, here's what this means. This, this term, bury my father, could mean a couple things. It could mean that his father was dead or had just died, and they were awaiting the burial or the funeral. And in, in the Jewish custom, this was a 30-day period of mourning. So he could be saying, Jesus... I'm with you, but hang on 30 days. And then uh, some think that it could be that his father um, had been dead, had initial burial, but after one year of the burial, the family would go back and do the final burial. Because what would happen is, is remember Jesus in the tomb? Uh, families would, would have tombs, and they would have uh, spaces in those tombs. When someone would die, they would wrap them in linens and spices and they would place them in the tomb and that would be the initial burial, 30 days of mourning. Then after one year, and I don't mean to be gross, but after all of the flesh had decomposed, they would go back and have another ceremony and place their bones in a box and put them in in the tomb. And so you're in a time of one year. So it could be, Jesus, my father died a little while ago. We're in that one year time. But as soon as that's up, I'm all in, baby. And then here's what most scholars will subscribe to, to this term meaning. And it was uh, a Near, East, Near Eastern phrase or figure of speech that referred to the son's responsibility to help in the family business. Because the father would be the head of the family business and the son had a responsibility to help this business until the father retired and passed away and the inheritance was divvied up. And what this is, is an indefinite delay. He's saying, Jesus, I'm all in, but it's just not convenient for me. I want to follow you, but I need this term, bury my father. But I need to go. I already have a job. I mean, I can't, I understand the cost of following you, but I got this job. I mean, do you understand, Jesus, that I have to work? Some of us have to make money. There's bills to pay. 
families to run? And God's like, no, that never occurred to me at all. And he's saying, Jesus, I've got to go. And, and this could be a 30, 40, or even a 50-year delay, depending on the age of his father. And what he's saying is, Jesus, it's just not convenient to follow you. You ever felt that when you feel just inside of you? Um, you feel that you, I have, I've heard from God. I, I mean, God has given me this direction, but I can't figure out how to fit it into my life. And you spend your time spiritually frustrated because you want to follow, but you're torn because it doesn't fit. And what Jesus is saying is, I need your obedience. I need that obedience to be immediate. That when you, when you are encountered with the God of the universe, that there's, a, there's something that immediately we say, God, I'm in. You figure all this out. All this is your problem. I don't think Jesus was saying, skip your dad's funeral to come with me to the other side of the lake. And I think Jesus would have, if this man would have responded and said, okay, I'm in now. Then we would have seen maybe a little bit of a different ending to this little narrative. Because maybe Jesus would have said, all right, I want to go help you. Now that you're all in and, and, and you're, you're, you, you, you lay it down, let me help you. Because, see, I got a little, I've got a little bit of authority. I've got a little bit of power. You've seen just a piece of it. I will help you. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, um, Paul writes, he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And then in the day of salvation, I helped you. And then he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. With God, there, there, there needs to be a sense of urgency. Not, not this uncalculated sense of urgency, but a, but a true sense of urgency. And when we put our obedience and our hope and faith in Jesus, that should drive and prioritize every decision we make. And should be at the front. And then uh, Jesus requires complete allegiance. He says, I don't just want your obedience, man. I want your allegiance. I want no other gods before me. I want the, I don't want the, I will follow you, Jesus, but I've got to take care of this. I'll follow you, Jesus, but I have to get my kids through school. I'll follow you, Jesus, but, remember, the dot, 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 as soon as. What we're really in our heart saying is, when it fits my time, my schedule, when it's convenient for me, when it works out perfectly for me, that's when I'll follow you. And what we're really saying is, even then, Jesus, I'm not following you because I've done all this on my own, so maybe you should follow me. Or just go with me and help me do all these things, and then I'll follow you. I grew up with two older sisters and a younger brother. I know how that works. If you help me clean my room, then I'll help you clean yours. <laughs> I'm just sad to admit I wasn't the one smart enough to say, if you help me, I'll help you. I was like, okay. Wait. 
Sometimes we do that to Jesus. Jesus, you help me, then I'll help you. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. It does not, I'm not bowing down to you. Sorry. God of the universe, I humbled myself to the cross so that we could have a relationship. And Jesus did that out of submission and humility to his Father, not to us. And we expect Jesus to bow down to us. And he says, I ain't doing it. And that's not pride, that's just truth. And we've got to understand this. And I think that the, the thing that Jesus really wants, he wants consistency. I think he wants committed, confident consistency. Because we've got to understand, we make this decision, we make this choice, and say, God, I'm not doing this based on what you can do for me. I'm doing this based on the reality that you are good and I am not. I'm doing this based on the reality. I'm following you based on the reality that you created me and loved me and I can have a connection and relationship with my creator. Not so I can have a good day today. Not so I can get what I want but so that I can have this connection and a relationship with the Father that I have never experienced before. I don't know what our situation is on our relationships with our fathers, with our dads, or with our mothers, but I can tell you that the reconciliation with God is a relationship with a perfect Father who loves us. Yes, He disciplines us. Yes, He asks us to count the cost and pay the cost to follow Him, but He loves us more than we could ever imagine. And what he desires is consistency in that walk. I mean, when we say, I'll follow you, he wants our heart, he wants our head, he wants us to understand and be willing to pay the cost. He says, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. We don't pick up Jesus' cross. We can't carry that one. But he says, you have a cross. And the cost is you picking up your cross and dying to yourself and sacrificing yourself so that we can have this connection and relationship. Are you in? And when we say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I don't fully understand that. I know there's going to be some things that I, I wish I didn't have to pay for. I'm, I know some, there's some things I wish I didn't have to give up. But I'm in because I love you. And I want that relationship with you. And he says, now be be consistent with it. Be all in and be consistent with it. I think too many times we deal with the issue of hot and cold. One thing that frustrates me is when you meet someone that's just begin this relationship with Jesus and there's an excitement, and then you got somebody that's been, I've been following Jesus for 50 years, you'll settle down. No. Uh-uh. As your pastor... I'm like smacking the puppy in the face. Don't settle down. <laughs> don't be spastic, okay? I mean, we don't want to go out and smack the world in the face like, <laughs> you need Jesus. No. All right, let's, if that happens, you take medication, okay? I'll get tested as well. But let's just be consistent with it. I think, I think when we lose consistency, everything in life settles. Our marriage, our families, our spiritual growth. I think consistency is a key for spiritual growth. And not just key for spiritual growth, but sustained spiritual growth. We continue to move forward.
we've got to understand life isn't always up and down. You know, sometimes it's easy to follow God when everything is great. Or it's easy to say, God, you can have everything when it's bad. But here's the question I want you to ask yourself on the consistency test. Is how do I handle life's everyday, ordinary moments? Because honestly, life isn't always up, it isn't always down, but there's ordinary. And so how do you handle your relationship with Jesus in those ordinary times of life? And as you begin to think on that challenge, um, think on that t- the question, let me challenge you with this. I want you to consider the cost and be consistent in following Jesus The cost of discipleship is great. This gift that Jesus died on the cross, this salvation, this grace is free. There is nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. There is nothing you can do to earn grace and forgiveness and mercy. But you have to ask for it. You have to be willing to say, God... I submit myself to you. I lay myself down. And I ask for your mercy and your grace. And I want that relationship as a father that I have never experienced before. And understand that there are costs involved with that decision. I've had friends walk away when I made a decision to follow Jesus as he led us into ministry, I, I, that cost me a job, that cost me friends at a job, but the cost is worth it. To launch this church comes with cost, but every day it's worth it because I see God doing amazing things, things that I can't explain other than surely This is God. And I'm willing to pay that cost. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning and and to bring glory to your name. And Father, we know that you do things well, that you are great that your power and authority is greater than we could ever imagine. Would you help us to to begin to reconcile our mind, our emotions, and our heart so that we can make a spiritual decision that's not led by emotions? God, help us and give us the, the ability to think and not get ourselves into a corner with our thinking, but give us the ability to think clearly. You have renewed our mind, Father, through this transformation of your grace. And you desire a relationship with us, with your kids. And fathers, we uh, see that that when you stepped on earth, when when you sent Jesus to earth, God in the flesh, and his purpose was to proclaim 
this relationship with you and to provide a way through the cross that we could have this connection with our Father, with our Creator, with the God of the universe, the one true God. Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, some of us have said we'll follow you, but God, we've never calculated the cost. We've never reconciled in our mind, in our heart, what it really means to follow Jesus. Father, some of us have said, I I do respect you, God, but just not too many things going on it just doesn't fit Father through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit would you give us the ability to submit all of who we are to you would you give us the ability to say we will do this now we're all in we love you this isn't about what we can get but what we can bring to you And we bring you ourself, God, our our brokenness, our hurt, our successes, our failures. And we lay that at the foot of the cross. And we ask for your grace and your mercy. And we ask for your power and your ability to bring consistency in our life. That we're neither hot nor cold. our consistency but we're always hot for you that we don't live life at a a lukewarm pace that we don't settle that we live excited to follow you honored to follow you humbled to follow you and Father I pray that if there's anyone here that has never put their their faith and hope and never said Jesus I'm in help us to understand that that we can't earn this that we can't pay the cost of being a disciple until we have experienced the free gift of grace and mercy that comes through Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection that brings life to us Father I ask that you give courage make the decision, the most important decision of life, to make you number one, to make you king, to ask for your grace and your mercy, encourage to communicate that to us so that as a church, as a family, as a body, we can begin to move into this discipleship and understand the cost and be willing and helping each other Help us to be consistent. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much. We lay it all down and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.